Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. It is good uh, to be with you this morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Scott Urbanic. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, it is always a joy to be with you here at Providence Road. I'd like to make a quick shout out to my uh, Northeast people over there. I know we can hear, I can hear you right now celebrating what the Lord is doing. Thank you so much. Uh, Providence Road, it is always so much fun uh, to come here and to worship alongside of you. Um, before we dive into the scripture that Callie so wonderfully read, um, we're going to uh, take a, I want to take a moment and let you know about a few things that are going on in the life of our church. What we're about to see is we're about to see Jesus start to call the first disciples. Jesus, this missionary God, is about to start calling these people who would follow him for three years, and then the world would be turned upside down as a result. And that mission still goes on today, but there's some opportunities through Mercy Church here and now today uh, that we want to let you know about that can equip you for the task that you have here today. Uh, So the first thing I want to let you know about is our Mission of God class that we have coming up on October 20th. It is six weeks long, and this class is for anyone. Now listen up, this is the most important event that we have uh, for international missions. If you're wondering, hey, what do we do with international missions? This is where you need to connect. This is the most important event that we have all year long. Everything that we do with international missions flows out of this event, so you you need to be there. Every single person has a task in God's mission. Uh, we're goers and we're senders and we reach our people here and we send people to reach people there. So we really want uh, to equip you with everything necessary so that you can take the mission of God all over the world and so that you can get connected to other like-minded and like-hearted people uh, who care about those things as well. You can find out about that at mercycharlotte.com news. Uh, the second thing I want to let you know about is our Reconstructing Faith Equip Forum. So in today's passage, we're going to see an example of someone who comes to faith despite his doubts. Many of us have thought that if we question things about our faith, uh, that means that we have to lose our faith or take a break from Christianity altogether and back out in order so that we can actually properly evaluate. And what we would say is, no, the Lord can handle and wants your questions. So if you're someone who has a lot of questions but just doesn't know where to, where to put them or where to, how to approach it, we ask, please come. Or if you're someone who has a friend or a family member, or this is actually you this morning who says that you're deconstructing, please come. We want you to be equipped on how to have these conversations. Questions are good. Questions are good. Let's ask them together. The only faith systems that tell you not to ask questions are cults, okay? That's who tells you not to ask questions. That's not what we do here. 
We say, ask your questions and let's come and let's explore them together. We want you to know that you can have questions and reconstruct your faith in the process. So this equip forum uh, is going to be really helpful uh, for a lot of people. It's going to be five dollars. Uh, seats are limited. Uh, the mission of uh, the mission of God class and this equip forum. You can find out more on mercyshala.com/news. Uh, again, seats are limited, so sign up for these. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. All right. The Bible. Uh, John chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, uh, verses 35 through 51. And what we're going to see is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So what we've seen thus far, if this is your first week with us, we've been in the book of John. And John is claiming that Jesus is God and that he has come to save the world. Then we saw a different John, John the Baptist, and we saw last week that he was telling everybody, hey, I'm not the Messiah, and he was pointing to the one that would come after him, and his ministry was to point to everyone, to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, and then we were introduced to this Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now, Jesus' ministry is about to start. It's about to go down, right? So Jesus, you know what he does? Here's what he does. He, he, uh, he calls people and he says, you know what? We need some viral marketing. Uh, you know, we need some word of mouth so I can start my preaching circuit. Uh, we need to gather a lot of people. And, we, you know, it's okay, but tell them we'll have cool t-shirts. Okay, we'll have cool t-shirts. The first hundred people get them. You know, we need lights and smoke shows and, and so that I can look more appealing. Is that what he did? No. Jesus is the greatest preacher in history. He didn't need that. And he only preached occasionally. Why? It seems like if you're the greatest preacher ever, it would be most effective to start a preaching circuit, right? But that wasn't Jesus's goal. Jesus's goal was to invest, invest, that'd be bad, invest (laughs) invest I was working on that all week like I kept saying invest I'm like dude don't say infest that's not that is not it Uh, but I did it here I am Uh, hopefully the 11 a.m. will get uh, the better version Uh, so (laughs) his goal was to invest in a few faithful people who would be able to carry the mission of God on after he left his goal was to invest in these people and in the 12 disciples really deeply because they needed to be ready to carry on the mission without him. And today we get to see the beginnings of what would turn into a worldwide mission that has reached even us today. We're going to see the story of Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. We're going to see his invitation to come and to be with him and other people inviting their friends and their family just to come and see Jesus. Just come and meet Jesus, they would say. And he invited them into his presence and into an intimate relationship with him. And Jesus did this one by one with these disciples and he invited them to come along with him. He knew, like us, that the most important thing for them and the most important thing for us is that we would be with Jesus. That we would be with him. Because when we are with him, then we are changed by him. And that was true for us, wasn't it? We were invited into a relationship with Jesus and then we came and saw who he was and then we were changed. Someone invited you to come and to meet Jesus and then what you realized is, well, I thought I was wanting to get to know Jesus, but I realized, wait a minute, he knows me. 
I mean, he really knows me. You know, he knows the deep, dark things about my life, the secrets that I've held. He knows all of those things, yet somehow he knows me and he loves me still. Somehow he knows all of those details, yet he still likes me. That doesn't make sense so that we see that. We see him for who he is, and then our lives are deeply and radically changed. He loves us, and he likes us, and he calls us to come and just to see him. That's what love is, isn't it? Being fully known, yet fully understood, and simultaneously loved and desired, despite all those things. That's love. God picks us. He chooses us despite all of those things. And today we get to see four examples of Jesus doing this with people that he knows, but they don't know him yet. They will, they will get to know him and it will change everything. Let me pray for us as we begin. Um, God, we come before you today needy. Lord, we need you. God, we need to be refreshed with your character, with who you are. And God, I pray that as we see who you are, as we see how you decide, or how you called these people, these disciples to yourself, Lord, I pray that we see ourselves in them and that we see you for who you truly are. Lord, we love you and we commit this time to you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, we will start in verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, that was John the Baptist. This was, you know, uh, we saw a lot of this last week, but this is the next day. John with these two disciples, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he turned around and asked them, what are you looking for? Okay, so we start right here in this passage, John the Baptist. We saw this last week. Our brother Joseph Anderson preached on it. Uh, listen, my, my brother Joseph, he can preach, right? Th that man is uh, gifted by God. I love Jesus in him. Uh, so John said something similar to what he said the day before. He said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after hearing this, John's disciples start to follow Jesus, which is great because that was the whole purpose of John the Baptist's ministry, right? It was to point people to Jesus. So they heard him say this, and the next day, they look around right there, boom, here is the Lamb of God. And they left John the Baptist to go and see Jesus. And when they saw him, saw them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Now let me pause here because this is a great question. For many of us, it's the question. Here's the first thing I think the Lord wants us to see today is that Jesus knows our motivations. Jesus knows our motivations. These two disciples start to walk behind Jesus and he asks them a question. What are you looking for? Jesus asks questions like this a lot in the Gospels. Why? It's because Jesus knows that following him doesn't start with a change in our behavior. It starts with a change of our hearts. 
And that's why Jesus' questions are often so pointed to people. He's trying to get, the, get to the heart with these two men. And examples of like this are all over the Bible, not just in the Gospels. You know, God asks Adam and Eve a question after they sinned. They sinned against God. And when they heard God walking in the garden, they hid. They hid in shame. And God called out to them and he said, where are you? Now, did he know the answer to this question? Of course he did. He's God. He knows everything. He asked them this question so that they could see and feel the fact that they used to walk with God in the cool of the day. And now they're afraid and hiding from the one they thought they would never hide from. He wanted them to feel and see the reality of where their sin had taken them. And his question led them there. They were hiding in a bush from their loving creator. Later in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus uh, ask the disciples, who do you say that I am? Did, now, did Jesus know who he was? Yes, he knew who he was. He didn't need to be affirmed in his godness. He didn't need that. But he wanted them to confess it with their mouths, showing that they were willing to cast down everything to follow him. He wanted to get to the heart. We also see in John chapter five that there was an invalid and he'd been that way for 38 years. For 38 years he'd been that way and Jesus goes up to him and asks him a wild question. Do you want to be well? I mean, come on Jesus, of course he wants to be healed. It almost sounds insensitive, doesn't it? Well, as the story goes, Jesus does heal him and he starts to walk around and everyone's asking this man, hey, how did this happen? Who did this? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know where he went. Jesus had slipped away from the crowds. And then he went and found this man later on in the temple. He found him and he said, see, look, you're well, but go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus' first question to this man was to show him that there are more important things than being physically healed. He needed to be healed spiritually. And Jesus asked questions like this to get to their hearts. And as we jump back into this passage, we see in our story that these two disciples, they started to follow Jesus. And they, in fact, they actually had great motivations. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to be with him. In verse 38, it says, and when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, they asked him, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, which means teacher, where, where are you staying? They called him Rabbi. Basically, this was their DTR moment with Jesus. They wanted to define the relationship with him. So they wanted to make it clear about their intentions to stay with Jesus. They wanted to follow him. So they called him rabbi so that, they, so that Jesus would know the kind of relationship that they wanted to have with him. So that's what they did in those days. People would seek out rabbis and they would ask rabbis if they could follow them and then the rabbi would decide whether or not he wanted to give his time to this particular person, whether or not he wanted to mentor them. So they're telling Jesus, based on what John the Baptist has been saying, he's like, hey, this is the Lamb of God. This is, this is who we've been waiting for. So they're like, hey, like, we want to follow him. That's what we want to do. So Jesus says this in verse 39, come and you will see, he replied. So they went 
And he saw where they were staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So Jesus, knowing that the best thing for these men was for them to just come and to be with him, he wanted them to experience who he was. He wanted them to experience him in a way that they would one day be able to do this and model this for other people. He would soon call others to come and meet with Jesus, and they would start to call others to come and meet Jesus. So he began modeling for them what he wanted them to do with other people, which is a great model for evangelism and discipleship, right? He starts modeling for them what he wants them to replicate. So they spent the day with Jesus. Can you imagine? Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard John and followed him, He first went and found his brother Simon. He went and found Simon and said, hey, we found the Messiah, which is the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. I love this. The first thing Andrew thought to do was to go and to find his brother. I don't know about you, but Family dynamics can be tough. (laughs) You know, family dynamics can be tough. And for a lot of us, I don't know if the first thing that we think of is going to go tell our brother, right? Me and my brother, you know, we're not so good. But family dynamics are tough. But all he wanted to do, he didn't care. He found the Messiah. He wanted to take his brother there. It didn't matter what happened before. Now, he didn't fully understand all of what this meant. You know, there were some political thoughts uh, that the Jews had in relation to who they thought the Messiah would, would be and what he would do. They thought he would overthrow Rome and that he would be this warrior king. But Jesus didn't come to take over political parties. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Andrew didn't know much, but he knew that he needed to get his brother to Jesus. He didn't know a lot. He didn't have a lot of information, but one thing he knew, he needed to get his brother to Jesus. And when he finally brought him to Jesus, verse 42, Jesus saw him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, translated Peter. Here's the second thing I think the Lord wants us to see today is that Jesus knows who we are and who he will make us to be. Jesus knows who we are right now and who he will make us to be later on. When Jesus saw him, he told him who he was. You are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. Now, Peter didn't know it yet, but he would become one of the most important leaders in the early church, especially in Jerusalem. But at this moment, Peter was an idiot. He was. We see from other gospels that Peter was impulsive. He had anger issues. He had a huge mouth, and he screwed things up all the time. He was a huge screw-up. I mean, Peter was the furthest thing from a rock that you could find. Now, you've heard the phrase before, oh, that person's a rock, right? They're steady. They're solid. Uh Uh-uh, not Peter. That is not who he was. He had no idea all that God had in store for him. And then one day Jesus would say in a different gospel, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
In Acts 2, later on, you know, it's pretty hilarious. You know, Peter's just screwing up all throughout the Gospels. And then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he turns into a different man. He turns into a different man, and then he preached the first ever Christian sermon, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Jesus knew who he was and who he would make him to be. You know, this isn't the first time that God renamed someone like this. This wasn't like a strange party trick, like Jesus showing up to a party and say, hey man, I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna call you Rock. People are gonna like it. You know, weird, weird party move Jesus. That's not what he's doing. You know, he did the same thing with Abram when he renamed him Abraham, indicating his covenant promise to him that he would be a father to many nations. And God saw something more for him than where he was. He and his wife couldn't have kids. 90 years old. God, he's like, hey, I'm done. This is it. No, God saw who he was and who he would make him to be. Then we saw indicating a new identity. Then he did the same thing with Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob was a deceiver, but he wrestled with God and prevailed. And he became a father to the tribes of the nation of Israel. God's people. God would often change people's names, indicating a special calling that he had for their lives. And God does the same with us. Before following Jesus, we were enemies. But in Christ, we're children. Apart from him, lost. But in Christ, we are found. He took our sin and he calls us now the very righteousness of God. Do you believe that about yourself? That you are the very righteousness of God? He has a plan for you. Yes, we are saved unto him and that one day we would be in glory, but we're not saved so that we get a get out of hell free card. He saved us so that we could also be with him right now in this broken world on mission with him. And he has a plan for you. And like Jesus, he sends us on mission. Jesus's mission is ours, is our mission. He came to seek and save the lost, and we're to do the same, to go and to introduce people to him. Come and see. In fact, the apostle Paul was also a terrorist of the church, and he comments on this by saying, you know, his new uh, identity was an ambassador, and that's our new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God makes his appeal to the world through who? Through us. That's God's plan. He makes his appeal to the whole world through you. That's who you are. And because of that, we plead with people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God's plan is for every one of us is to adopt us, to call us children, to go on mission alongside of him. And maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you know that you are a mess sitting here in this room, thinking there's no way that God could have a plan for you. Not true. And guess what? All of us are a mess. Every single one of us. We are all a train wreck. And anyone who says differently doesn't understand who they truly are. We're all being a mess. And all that means is that we are all a great candidate for grace. Amen? Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the hometown of Andrew and Peter. All right, now we see Philip, and Philip's story is how, how he came to Jesus. Uh, it was, that was it. Like, Jesus just called him. You know, that's it. Nothing crazy. 
And you know, this is the kind of testimony we want for our kids. I don't know, God just called me and I just came to know Jesus, right? Jesus found me. No crazy story, simple, boom. And the lie that many of us believe is that if our story's not like Paul or not more like Peter or not more like Mary who battled demons, then God couldn't possibly use me. That God couldn't possibly use you. Not true. Philip had a normal story. And you know what he became in the book of Acts? They called him Philip the Evangelist. That's what they called him, Philip the Evangelist. He'd be the one who'd share with the Ethiopian eunuch who would then take the gospel to Africa. It doesn't take a crazy story to tell people about Jesus because we have a crazy, awesome God. It doesn't take a crazy story. All it takes is love. When you talk about Jesus, does a smile come across your face? Does it seem like you adore him? People are drawn to lovers of God. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to them. God knew he had a plan for Philip to be this evangelist in the kingdom, but as young Christians, he's on fire for Jesus, and he starts to go and to share uh, with with somebody else, and it doesn't really go super great. Uh, He gets all the information wrong. Well, not all of it, but some of it. Uh, And here's what it says. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, hometown of Andrew and Peter, And Philip found Nathanael, and he told them, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. This story reminds me a little bit of when I was living in Florida. So Philip is excited. He just want, he didn't know all the information. He just wants to start telling everybody about Jesus. New converts are often like that. They don't know much, but they're going to tell everybody. So, so this reminds me when I, was, when I was in Florida. I grew up in Florida. And our church had a pastor that was a really gifted evangelist in Miami. And there were some kids that were, there were high school kids that were coming to faith. And our church was from some really rough backgrounds. Uh, we had a lot of gang members that started to come to our church, even like from different rival gangs, and they would come. We had Latin kings and Crips, and they were all coming, and they're sitting together and worshiping Jesus right next to each other at church. It was unbelievable. And then one day, they're all like, hey, let's go to the movies. So we all went with them, and, and as we went there, we saw some kids that didn't know the Lord, and they knew them, and they were like, okay, it's going down. We need to go tell these kids about Jesus. And I knew these kids. I knew that they didn't know the Lord, and they were rough, and, and, and they're, they're, they're in my neighborhood. Now, those, these are the kind of kids in my, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go, y'all. I don't know how this is going to go. And so they go up, and they didn't know the right things to say. In fact, they said almost all of the wrong things. <laughs> they went up to him and said, hey, listen, mother, sit down. And then they start sharing the gospel with them. It's laced with profanity. Things weren't all right. But guess what they got clear? The gospel was clear. We didn't have those. Listen, don't judge them. They'd been Christians four days, okay? (laughs) Chill out. So so we hadn't gotten there in their discipleship yet, all right? So, So they go, and they're excited. They're going. They see kids that they know that don't know Jesus, and they go, and they're spatting off all sorts of things. I'm like, "Eh, well, as I'm hearing, I'm like, okay, well, that, you know, okay, we got to, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. It wasn't always theologically correct, but they knew Jesus, and they understood the gospel, 
And they didn't have everything figured out. And Philip was similar. He said some wrong things in his presentation here. He told them, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, which is true. Uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, a lot of the things he said was right. Jesus was who Moses wrote about in the law and in the prophets. But he said, Jesus, he's from Nazareth, which is true, but he's trying to prove it to someone who's a little bit of a skeptic. We'll see this in a minute. And there aren't any prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus being, or the Messiah being from Nazareth. You know, then he mentions that he's Joseph's son. He didn't mention that he was God's son. So he didn't quite get everything right, likely because he didn't fully understand it yet. But God starts to honor his heart and his intentions. Verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. And here's a third thing I think the Lord wants us to see today is that Jesus sees us in our doubt. Jesus sees us in our doubt. As we'll see in a minute, Nathaniel was a bit of a skeptic. And he picked up on the information that, you know what, this, didn't quite, this doesn't quite add up, Philip. This doesn't quite add up. And then he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was skeptical because nothing was ever written in the Old Testament about that. And Nathaniel knew the Bible. He knew it, but he was skeptical. None of the prophecies even mentions Nazareth. And also, Nazareth, come on, that town is tiny. There's only like 2,000 people there. And it's filled with a lot of Greeks, you know, the people we don't really like. Scholars have said that this man was probably prejudiced against a lot of the people of that town. How could God send a Messiah with that small town with those people? That can't be true. He imagined, but wouldn't it be just like God to send his son through to be born into this small town, an insignificant town filled with non-ethnic Jews in order to one day send his disciples to go after the same people that they were once prejudiced against. God wants all people. God's playing cosmic chess while we're down here playing checkers. We think we've got him checkmated and he's like, and we're playing the wrong game. God is in control. God wants people from all countries and all nations and all ethnic backgrounds. That honors God. That's why we want to look like the kingdom of God here. That's why we want to send people to all nations to go get them there. That honors God. So Nathaniel skeptically asked Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, you know, Philip's like, ah, whatever. You know, just come and see. Just come and meet him. And many of us, you know, we want to know and, and, and have to have the answers to answer uh, skeptics really perfectly. You know, in my experience, you know, I've talked to a lot of skeptics and, and I know people in our church that have talked with a lot of skeptics. And what I've seen is that for many skeptics, it's not that they need their questions answered. I've seen that done probably a hundred times and answered really well. What they need is actually to experience who Jesus is. Because when when you get people in front of Jesus, their questions fall to the ground. It doesn't matter anymore because when you meet who Jesus is, the most important thing that you can think of that you can't quite figure out in your mind, you see Jesus in the scriptures and you're blown away. You are. That's why it's so important to get them in front of the word of God. 
Just sit down with them. Maybe that's your next step. Sit down with someone and say, hey, will you just read the Bible with me? I know you've got a lot of questions, and I may not even have all the answers for you, but just come and see Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. And their questions, oftentimes, when they see who Jesus is, will weigh less and less on their heart because of Jesus' character. And as he brings, as Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, the same thing will happen to him. His questions and his doubts fall to the ground. Look at this. Verse 47. Y'all, this is about to get wild. Verse 47. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Now remember, Jesus had never met him before in person, but Jesus knew him. There's so much in these verses, it is mind-blowing, and you'll see that what Nathaniel, Nathaniel, uh, he's going to quit doubting in a bit. You see, Jesus' first words to him sound a little odd, right? Verse 47 Here is truly an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Sounds a little weird, but what he was saying, now was he saying like, hey man, you look like someone who's not a liar. Like that's a weird weird way to introduce yourself. You know, no, that's not what he's doing. He's not saying, hey man, you don't look like the kind of guy to me that is really deceitful. That's not what he's doing. Another way to faithfully translate this passage from the original language is this. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Jacob, Jacob's name in the Old Testament means deceiver. He deceived people all the time, and he, so he was appropriately named that, and, and which piqued Nathaniel's interest, so he responded, how do you know me? And then Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Y'all, I, I didn't know this when I started researching for this sermon, but this, this blew me away. Do you know what rabbis called skeptics back then? There was a phrase that they used to call skeptics. People in, by skeptics, they, they don't necessarily mean like uh, skeptics who are angry about it. Like, what he means is people who are like trying to, they're just trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure it out. And so, so what they called them was people who sat under the fig tree. So rabbis would talk to each other. Hey, how's this person going? They say, hey, pray for James. He's sitting under the fig tree right now. And this phrase was describing someone who would sit and would struggle with the things of God, trying to figure it all out. And Jesus was saying this to Nathaniel because, in fact, he was sitting under a fig tree. And he was struggling, trying to figure out how to get right with God and trying to figure out the best way to get to him. And Jesus called that out and said, yes, Nathaniel, I saw you, yes, literally under a fig tree. And I saw you struggling, doubting in your turmoil, trying to figure it all out. I saw Nathaniel, and Nathaniel responds by calling him rabbi, okay? Like, rabbi, I want to follow you. And look at me with verse 49. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Pause. I want to pause right here. So Nathaniel starts to believe, and even calls him the son of God, which is true. And then Jesus responds, do you only believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Because I, because like, is that the only reason you believe? 
Do you only believe because there was no possible way that I could have known? He was probably thinking that, that there's no way that this man could have known that I was sitting there and that I was thinking these things. Is that why you believe? Jesus asked. Not only did Jesus show Nathaniel his omniscience, that he's all-knowing, but it's way better than that. He said, it's way better than that, Nathaniel. You will see greater things than this. And then he said, truly, verse 51, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you know what this means? Jesus is quoting Genesis 28. It's a story about Jacob, the deceiver. Remember, that's what he called Nathaniel. He said, you're the one with no Jacob. And read this with me in Genesis 28. This is unbelievable. Starting in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and he went towards Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from this place and put it there at his head and he laid down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down on it. And the Lord was standing there beside him saying, I'm the Lord, the God from your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you your offspring in the land which you are lying. Your offspring will be the dust of the earth and you will spread towards the west and the east, the north and the south. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you to this land for I will not leave you until what I have done is promised to you. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. Look at what Jacob's saying there. As the story goes, you know, he sets a stone of remembrance there. And Jacob thought what he thought he found was the path to heaven. That's what Jacob thought he found, the path to heaven, that this is the actual place where we can get access to God and to find eternal life with God. And Jesus is looking at Nathaniel and he tells him, you will see greater things than this. Truly, I will tell you, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the son of man, onto him. Don't you get it, church? He's telling Nathaniel that he was the path to heaven. That he was the way to get right with God. In the context of this passage, he was sitting under the fig tree literally and spiritually, struggling to figure out how to get right with God. And he was probably reading this passage, scholars say. And Jesus met him in his doubts and in his struggle. And he's saying, you're not Jacob, you're Nathaniel. And I see you. And you've been trying to figure out the path to heaven all along. Nathaniel, don't you see? You're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see that I am the way, that I am the truth, that I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So to the doubters and to the skeptics, God knew Nathaniel all along. He knew his struggle and his doubt. He knew where he was sitting, even in the passage of scripture that he was reading. He knows you. Like Philip did, I invite you to come and see. Yes, come with your questions. Come with your concerns. Jesus isn't afraid of them. 
One of the reasons I love this passage is because we can see ourselves in these people, can we not? Jesus knows our motivations. He sees our hearts. He knows and he understands. Jesus knows who we are and who he will make us to be. And he sees us in our doubts. I don't know about you, but I've been saved by this Jesus. I've been saved by him. And I used to be a mess, a foot in church, a foot in the world. But by God's grace, he saved me. By God's grace, he saved me. He almost, like, I almost lost my life in college. I almost died physically, but he raised me up. I almost died spiritually. He raised me up. And he gave me a story to tell. And I want to give my life to tell every single person I know that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And if you don't believe it, just come and see. Will you do the same with me? Why do you think the people who you work with are working with you? Why are they in the cubicle next to you if it's not for you to go and tell them, come and see? Why are you related to who you're related to? If it's not for you to go to them and say, hey, I know we've got all these issues, but just come, look past me, just come and see Jesus. I don't know who you know. I don't know if it's your barber I don't know if it's the person who lives next door, people you share an office with, people you go to the playground with, preschool, or maybe it's like Richard, whoever does your pedicure. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Invite them to come and to see Jesus. Let me pray. God, we love you. Lord, we follow you now, those of us who know you, because we were able to come and to see. We saw who you are, and we truly confess that we believe that you are the Son of God. And we believe that the gospel is true, that our sin had separated us from you. But you didn't leave us. You came and you lived a perfect life, sinless record, because we could never do that. And then you died a sinner's death on the cross. And you who knew no sin at all became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And Jesus, you died and then you went in the grave and then you came out of it three days later showing that you were God and that you had defeated death and sin so that we could be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that we help others come and see, to taste and see what we have tasted and seen, that you are God and that you love us. You know our motivations. You know who we are now and who you will make us to be later. And you see us even in our doubts. Jesus, we commit this day to you. Lord, help us and pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.